0: Uh, before I begin, uh, I just want to dedicate the year that uh, this year should be a blessing and a merit for the health and success of the families of Regina Bas, Yosef Reuven, and Yishaya Ben Yisrael, Ben Yamin Wolf, Ben Tzvi Hersh, and Baruch Ben Ben Yamin Wolf. The year should go as a source for them. You know, it's interesting... <laughs> I've given two shurim about what's happening in the Middle East. But what's interesting about all this uh, is that something has happened, which really we could have expected, which is not just a war in the Middle East. What is happening is a tremendous rise in anti-Semitism. And it's just astounding to watch. It's all over the United States. Uh, and it's in, it's in all the almost all the colleges, universities, academia. It's just incredible to watch. But what people are saying is that they're glad this happened <clears throat> to the Jews. The Jews deserve this, and so on. And this is in spite of the fact of what Hamas did to the Jews on October seventh. It's incredible, and he expressions which you'd never think would come from America. What is that? Gas the Jews. That's what somebody told me, That that's what they're saying in, uh, in UCLA, uh, you know, University of California, Los Angeles. And I'm sure that's happening in other places. Gas the Jews? What kind of a talk is that? That's classic Holocaust Nazi speech. And that should be repeated in America? What has happened to America? Now, I went into this qu- quite extensively in the last year, but this mm, certainly is unexpected. Even though we expect that, you know, after a while, the, the uh, people will, uh, uh, you know, they'll start turning against the Jews, ceasefire and all that other nonsense. It's, it's just incredible how people could even say that. Uh, you know, after the slaughter, a mutilation of 1,400 Jews and the fact that Hamas, by a ceasefire, will retain its ability to try to destroy Israel. I mean, what what does it mean, a ceasefire? The whole thing is ludicrous. And uh, Biden keeps talking about this two-state solution, two-state solution with who? With what? There's no such thing as as a partner in peace. All they want is the destruction of jews and the end of the israel so are they delusional and the answer of course they're delusional because that's what anti-semitism does it makes you irrational Uh, but in any case we are witnessing an incredible rise in anti-semitism and what that has done it has generated a tremendous amount of fear anxiety whatever depression people realize they're waking up wait a minute I thought we got rid of this in 1945 after the Holocaust. You mean it's happening again? And this is exactly how things seemed to happen in 1933. This is how it begun. It began, and so on, and began to grow, and so on. You know, uh, I'm not saying it's going to happen in America, but we are looking at something which is a historical repetition of something that happened. What? How many years ago was that? You know 75 years ago which when you think about it there's really nothing and we know the results of that and so on you know so there's no question that many people are frightened they don't know what to do especially you see that there are people of not only in america but in england and across europe there's a tremendous rise in anti-semitism so there's a lot of fear so because of that it's obviously tremendous, urgent situation. How can we protect ourselves from this? You see, and that is really a very important idea that I felt should be, you know, uh, spoken about. That there is a way to protect ourselves. In fact, Chazal tell us why was the first, ba- the, the second, the, well, actually even the first place of this, Why was it destroyed? Chazal tell us. The rabbis tell us. Because of sin chinam. and not only to sin chinam, it was basically because uh, they they uh, committed the sinning of three sins, which you are asked to give up your life if you have to transgress. But there was a great deal of sinning. But the second way to this—that's really when you had a baseless hatred—and the chovetz chaim and the mashiah say. That, it, that that in itself, the baseless hatred would not have destroyed the Second Temple. What did destroy it, they said, was the Lush and Horror that was generated as a result of the baseless hatred. This is what they say. So it may be that what, what uh, sparked the tremendous Lush and Horror of, of that generation, you know, it's, like I say, it sparked the Lush Horror. But what really uh, uh, did it was the Lashon Hara, not the Sinat And this is what the Chovetz Chaim says and the Maharsha. So that, in many ways, is a wake-up call. But that tells us also something. The reason why the Chovetz Chaim tells us, uh, the reason why the Mashiach does not come, why does the exile, why is it still around after 2,000 years? Because the Jews speak Lashon Hara. And that generates tremendous amount of baseless hatred. Why is, not of the Golas, why doesn't the Mashiach come? Why doesn't the Shechina, the Divine Presence, return? Basically, the sin is because of Lashon horah So therefore, the greatest protection would be to have what's called Shmir Salashim. Now, I explained last week what the mechanics Of speaking russian horror what happens in any case so i've decided that it's worthwhile especially because we are really in an emergency situation it's going to get much worse before it gets better you know i can tell you that now so there has to be a way that we can avail ourselves of to protect ourselves and not only that if everybody does do that right then there's no question that the exile will end, and the base Hamikdash will be built, and the Mashiach will come. And the fourth idea is the the Rabboni Shalom will restore his presence to Klai Yisrael. So therefore, um, now there's something I wanted to add, which I think is very worthwhile. What are we really looking forward to? initially that is you see so of course we're looking forward to the the end of the exile right the building the base amigdash the the uh, mashiach and the return of the divine presence those are the four things that we are really looking forward to but these things happen in stages so what are we therefore looking forward to and the answer is we are looking forward to or we're waiting for the turnaround this is what we're waiting for right now everything is in a downhill slide and this is part of the end the downhill slide and so on which we are witnessing we wake up in the morning and we can't believe what the world has turned into which means america and the entire world that the world has become an incredibly immoral and dangerous place to live you see so what we're looking forward to is a turnaround uh, what does the turnaround mean that means the gezerah the decree of darkness ends and then the rabbi now turns it around and he begins what's called the upward climb out of this morass you see that's what we're looking forward to and as part of all this of course is the end of the exile mashiach and so on. but the question is when does it happen when does the turnaround Begin, you see, because there's an unusual feature of the turnaround. Once it turns around, because of what's called beitoy, that the Mashiach can come either in its designated time, and there is a time that the Mashiach must come, it's guaranteed. There's no longer, Christ does not have to do anything more to bring the Mashiach. It's called the end of time, you see. Uh, so the question is when does that happen now what's interesting is that once that happens once the end time has happened and the zero the decree of the darkness before the end is terminated then that turnaround means that it is irreversible it cannot go back even if the jews sin and it's not only that, but it's unstoppable. It cannot stop. It must move forward. That's really what we're waiting for, believe it or not. You know, we want the end of the decree of the end. We want Be'itoy. We want it to end now, which, like I said, it cannot stop and it cannot reverse. It's over. What now, what I want, and I want to bring this out, um before i get on with the shir, what is important to know is this is that if this war and i mentioned last year that this war that is happening now now that it is global no longer between israel and hamas it's really good and evil it's really the jews versus the anti-semitism of the entire world because the entire world seems to be condemning the Jews. That's Goi And I mentioned last week that it's very possible that this war is now at least a major part of Goi But I want to tell you something. Goi is the end. That's what it is. Which will mean that since this war has started, it's a game changer. And that means... That we are now in the midst of the turnaround. That's the good news. That if this war is part of Goigamogogog, which it seems to be, then that means that we are now witnessing the turnaround. We are now, we have arrived at Be'itoi, which is incredible news, you see. And the Medrash supports this view because it says in the Medrish, which I brought two Shurmago, <coughs> that iran at the end of time uh, in fact it says that in the in the uh, the seven-year period in the week that mashiach comes okay what will happen you see so it says that iran will commit make war, persia against the entire world incite a war uh against arab arabia and Arabia will go consult Edom. Edom, of course, is Aesov, which I have mentioned many times, Uh, America and Europe and so on. And then all of a sudden, they will begin to destroy the world. And we know that's very possible with nuclear weapons, right? And then Israel will be frightened, and I mentioned that, what that means and so on. But then it says that a bus comes out and says, don't be frightened, this is God speaking. Right? Abaskol is a divine voice. Don't be frightened because all that I have done or that is happening now is because I have done for your sake, which is the end. And I had gone through that in the last year and the one before that, part one and part two of the Middle East conflict. What does that mean? That means God is saying this is the final war. Well, what is the final war? And the answer is, goygamagoig. Right? So it sounds, therefore, based on that Medras, to Yalqut Shamayni, based on that, that this war, which is a war against Persia, Iran, and we know Iran is the major source of the entire war of Hezbollah and Hamas. I mean, Iran is the major character and so on, right? And the Medras says that God says this is it. So it's very likely that we are in the middle of that war, which is goygamagoik. But the incredible news of that is that we have just witnessed the turnaround. Because goygamagoik is the end, and there is nothing after Goyigamogoik. you see. So if that's the case, like I said, we have now witnessed the turnaround. Which means that we are now going to witness, based on these ideas, we are going to witness tremendous amount of victories. and and tremendous Hatzlokho, success, from here on in, you see, which is uh, a news beyond what we can even begin to imagine and so on, you know. And remember what I said a long time ago, that according to the Zoya, Dkhir Sameisim, which is resurrection of the dead, will occur 210 years before the end of time, or the end of O'ilm hazeh, this world and since the world will go till 6000 the year 6000 right which is the english year 2240 210 years before that there will be resurrection of the dead because resurrection of the dead which is transmation begins right after mashiach ben david appears 210 years before 2240 is what is 2030 right Twenty thirty, that that's the. If you think about that, um, that's that's absolutely inc- incredible. That's only what we're now in two thousand twenty three, and twenty thirty. So what are we looking at here? You know, we're looking at less than uh, seven years, and which would make sense, and that's when the Zoya says. Uh, that which means automatically M'sheikh David, And that is why we are seeing a tremendous acceleration of these events. And it's very likely, like I said, let's hope it's true, that this is the final war of and Magog and therefore we will witness a tremendous amount of salvations and redemptions from here on in. So this is a, a very important idea. But in order to do that, I mentioned also, we have to make sure it's Be'itoi. And how do we do that? By doing exactly what they did in Egypt. And like I said, it says in the Medjush three times, three different places. The only reason why Jews were redeemed from Egypt is because they did not speak Loshonara. And I explained the whole mechanics of that. You see that not speaking of hara will actually bring the end of time. So I'm hoping that everybody takes on to learn two halachos a day, and there's an entire, uh, you know, uh, program for this. The uh, Chavetz uh, Chaim Heritage Foundation, you know, has that uh, program uh, to learn two halochas a day. You see. And everybody considers that to do that and takes on the tremendous mitzvah of Shemir Salashim. Therefore, as such, because we are living in such an incredibly uh, urgent time, I'm going to present to you now the Shia that I gave many years ago for the Chofetz Chaim Heritage Foundation. Uh, what exactly is Shemir Salashim, not speaking of Shinarah, and what the underlying dynamics is what's the premise of this and there's no musa it's pure hashkafa. so you will know why guarding against speaking on horror is so powerful so i'm, I'm going to present this year as uh, as a, uh, as a uh, an understanding a comprehensive understanding of what lies behind this mitzvah and my hope of course is that people will hear this year and commit to learn the two Halachas and certainly to observe and try to get everybody not to speak lashon Hara. So I'm going to uh, present this year now. Let me ask you, we
1: know that the Temple was destroyed because of baseless hatred. The Chofetz Chaim says on this idea that the Talmud brings down that baseless hatred really is the concept of lashon Hara because when a person has a certain amount of baseless hatred of course they speak Lashon Hara. The question is why was the temple destroyed because of Lush and Hara and we know Lashon Hara of course translates as slander. Why was the temple destroyed because of slander? Could you imagine that God takes his holiest place and destroys it because of the concept or the sin of slander? How do we understand this? Not only that We know also that the Jewish people have been in exile for thousands of years. And we also know that the exile has been caused because of slander or Lashon Hara. This is what the Chofetz Chaim tells us. Again, how do we understand this? Why should the Jews be so many thousands of years in exiles because of the sin of Lashon Hara? This is the question. Not only that, there's another question. Let me ask you again. We also know that not only are the Jews in exile, but there is a great man who lived about 200 years ago. His name was Rabbi Referl from Hamburg. He said a remarkable statement and the Chofetz Chaim brings him down in his writings. He said that every single problem that the Jews have had from the beginning of creation is because of slander or lashon and horror. That's what he says. That clearly is a critical concept even for today's times. What we have to ask ourselves is why, <coughs> why is it that Loshon Hara or slander can create so many tragedies from the beginning of time itself? This is the question. Let me ask you something else, fourth idea. Everybody wants what's called muzzle. What is muzzle? The concept of muzzle is of course luck or good fortune. We all want this, we want this in terms of livelihood, we want this in terms of children, we want this in terms of marriage, there's so many things we want. Why is it then that it is written that a person's personal muzzle is destroyed because of and hara? That's right. That means when a person speaks slander, that actually destroys his luck, his fortune. How do we understand this? Not only these ideas, But let me show you further ideas, further Talmudic statements that clearly indicate that if you think that you understand what the concept of Lashon Haro or slander is, you are gravely mistaken. Let's take a look at some of the rabbinical statements. There's another rabbinical statement in the Medrash. It says the following. God says, I could save you. I can save you from any tragedy, any calamity, any problem. But on one condition, do not speak Lush and horror. This is what God Himself says. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, why? Why is it that God says that if you do not speak slander or Lush and Hara, that He will remove or minimize the problems that you have? This is the question that we must ask. There is another Talmudic statement that says the following, <clears throat> What is the greatest of all the commandments? Mitzvahs. I will tell you, the Talmud says that the greatest of all the commandments is learning Torah. We, we pray in the morning by the, the davening in the morning prayer Talmud that learning Torah is the greatest of all mitzvahs. So the Talmud says what is the greatest of all sins? The truth is you know the Talmud says that the greatest of all sins is speaking lush and horror or slander. That's incredible. Could you imagine? How is it possible? that the greatest of all sins is speaking slander? You mean to tell me that speaking slander is even worse than desecration of the Sabbath? How can that be? And I wanna tell you something. The rabbis don't exaggerate merely to win a point. Of course not. If this is what they say, then this is exactly what it means. How do we begin to understand this? How? That is the question. There is a Medrash that says the following that Ahhov he was Ahab, he was a king in Israel for many years, and it says that in the generation of Ahho or Ahab, that the Jews worshiped the idol, all the Jews worship idols. this is what it says, and therefore, as a result of that, because they worshiped the idols, of course it was a tremendously sinful generation yet that Statement in the Medrash says that when they went to battle, they never lost a battle, not once. So this Medrash says the way, how is it possible? Is because in the entire generation of akhov nobody spoke and Hara. Do you believe this? It's hard to understand how that could be, that they worship idols, yet they do not speak and Hara. But that's what it says. That because they did not speak slander, they never lost a battle. That is absolutely incredible. Why? That is the question we must ask and it says in the same place that in the generation of Shaul by King David that the Jews lost battle after battle, even though the average child in that generation was able to expound or sermonize on a particular or verse 49 different ways. Yet it says that they lost battle after battle, why? Because they spoke lush and horror or slander. Do you believe this? And a generation that worships idols, they never lose a battle because they do not speak and Hara. Yet in the generation of Shaul, that there is so much unbelievable amount of terror, that even though there is, when they go to battle, they lose battle after battle. Why? Because they speak and Hara. How do we understand this? <clears throat> and I will bring you one more Chazal Rabbinical statement. Abenu, he sees one Jew hitting another Jew, and he says to that Jew, Russia, evil man, why are you hitting your fellow Jew? And that man turns to him and says, and this is in the beginning of uh, Exodus Shemois, he says to him, who made you the boss? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? So Moshe says, and it's in the Torah, he says a strange phrase. He says, oh, surely the matter is known. Surely the matter that I killed the Egyptian, of course, is going to be known to Pharaoh. But Rashi, right on that place, says, no, uh, that is not what Moshe Rabbeinu said. What Moshe Rabbeinu meant is that he asked himself, why is it that the Jews are in such a terrible exile for so many hundreds of years? So when he saw that the Jews speak Lashon Hara or slander, he understood why the Jews are in the Egyptian bondage itself. Because they speak Lashon Hara why is that so amazing because the jews in egypt they worshiped idols so the fact that they worshipped idols did not constitute sufficient of an explanation as to why they would be in the egyptian bondage or exile but when Moshe Rabbeinu saw that they speak russian horror or slander then he understood how can this be what do we see from all these rabbinical questions that i have asked you that if you think that you understand the inner meaning of lush and or slander, you are grossly mistaken. How do we begin to understand this? I will tell you. Let's take a look. First we have to understand a couple of points before we can begin to answer these questions. <clears throat> what is the definition of lush and horror or slander? The definition is as follows. Any communication that will harm another person, that is the definition of lush and horror. Yes, that's what it is. And make no mistake, it doesn't make a difference how you communicate. You can speak Lashon Hara, you can even do what? You can write Lashon Hara, or whatever. If you communicate something that harms another person, that is Lashon Hara. And by the way, even if that statement is true, in fact, especially if that statement is true, it is Lashon Hara. If that statement is false, then it is worse than slander, it is called defamation, it's called Maseh Shemra, and that is actually much worse. This is the definition of Russian horror. Now, we have to ask ourselves the following. When God created the world, how did he create it? In, in other words, what concept did he employ? The answer is that God created the world employing a concept called din or justice. What is the ju- definition of justice? The definition of justice really, in many ways, is the following. It doesn't mean that if you do a bad act, that you are punished. No, that is the narrow understanding of justice. The understanding of justice is much broader than that. If you do Act A, then Act B follows. This is what justice is. Act A, A leads to Act B, which means the concept of cause and effect. That's right. Why did God create the concept of justice or cause and effect when He created the world? And the answer is because He wants. A person to earn his future world. That's right. He will not give it free. person has to earn it. He's got to observe the commandments. Right? And he's got not only to do that, he's got to do acts of kindness and mercy. All kinds of good deeds. Then he gets the future world. If he doesn't, then he jeopardizes his future world. Therefore God created the concept called cause and effect or justice as a result. Now, if that's the case, if we know uh, that the ones who do what? That as a result of the fact when you do one act, another act must follow. The question is, who judges the acts of man? Who judges the Jewish people? Does God judge the Jewish people? The answer is no. It says a verse that God does not look at the sins of Jacob. What does that mean? That God does not involve himself in the judicial process. Because he knows what a person will do 6,000 years before he does it. And not only that, if he judges that person will be found guilty. God does not want to intervene because God loves the the Jewish people and therefore He does not want to involve Himself in the judicial process itself. Well, the question then is, if God doesn't judge the Jewish people, then who does? And the answer is, what is called in Hebrew, a Bezint Shemailah, a heavenly tribunal, a heavenly court. They judge the Jewish people. What does that mean? We find many times in the Talmud that the way God runs the upper world is exactly the way we run here. Justice is given, how? By the judicial procedures, by a court of law. That's the exact same way that it operates in heaven. That there's a heavenly tribunal and they judge the acts of man, they judge the Jewish people. The concept of a heavenly tribunal. Now, make no mistake, every single thing that happens to a person is a result of the decree of that Besden, of that heavenly tribunal. That's right. Now, we must ask the following, well, if that's the case, when does the heavenly tribunal, when do they judge the Jewish people? This is the question. If a person does 2,000 sins in a week, does the heavenly tribunal, that best, then do they sit in judgment on this person? And the answer is, not at all. Uh, not at all. They don't even look at the person. So the question is, if sin doesn't invoke the judicial process, then what does? And the answer is a very interesting concept. What God did is that he created an angel. His name is the Satan, the heavenly DA, the heavenly district attorney. He prosecutes, in Hebrew that is called the Kitrug. He's a prosecuting attorney and he prosecutes. In fact, he's the only one that can invoke the judicial procedure. His prosecution gets the heavenly tribunal to begin or initiate their actual judicial process. He's the only one. So therefore we see That what? That all problems come because of the titrug or the prosecution of the sotan, this angel. Every single thing happens as a result of the sotan because he's the only one that can initiate the judicial process. If that's the case, we have to ask ourselves a tremendous question. Is it possible to stop this incredible angel or sotan? Is it possible? Do you have any idea how valuable that piece of information is? Of course, if you understand that every problem or tragedy that a person has is because of the prosecution of that angel, then the information how to stop it is the greatest information you could ever have, bar none. How do we stop them? I will tell you, God as I had mentioned previously created the world employing a certain concept called Deen or Justice. What does din or justice mean, as I had said? It means that act A leads to act B. But the truth is, that's not exactly the way God did it. He really created it, employing a certain peculiarity of of measure for measure. What does that mean? That is the peculiarity. What God said it is not act A that leads to act B, but it is act A that leads to the mirror image of act A, which is the concept of measure for measure. When you do something, its exact opposite is what happens to you. This is called meter connected or measure for measure. Why does God do this? Because first of all, that is absolute justice. And the second reason is because if you look at the punishment, you can actually figure out the sin or the crime because it is the mirror image of what just took place. Therefore, he created that way. Did you know that employing the concept of measure for measure, it is possible to actually intervene in a judicial process how i will show you imagine somebody comes over to you and says you know i owe you money and it is due today do me a favor i don't have it extend the terms of the loan or let me pay you in installments you think about it you say okay fine what are you doing you are acting with mercy or compassion that in hebrew is called rachmonis that's what you are doing you are being merciful why because he really owes it to you now except you're saying pay me later Therefore, as a result of that, listen to an incredible, absolute law. Uh, that Let's assume that the Satan, that angel, that prosecuting attorney, prosecutes this person and is found guilty in the heavenly tribunal. Can this court of law, this heavenly tribunal, walk over to the Satan, the angel and say, Okay, we want you now to begin to execute the judgment and the answer is no. Uh, the heavenly tribunal walks over to a file cabinet that this person has and every person has it he walks over and he pulls it open and they take a look if that person did acts of kindness and acts of mercy then measure for measure this court must also act in that way Uh, so what they do is they suspend the judgment itself what is the advantage that this person has since they don't remove it they suspend it the advantage is is that this person can repent He can do tshuva, which is repentance, and as a result of that, uh, the entire case is thrown right out of court. Uh, Therefore we see uh, that utilizing the concept of measure for measure, it is actually possible to stop the judicial process. Imagine, you walk over to somebody, you say to that person, you know, you did me a tremendous avlo, which means an injustice, but you know what I'll do? I will forgive you. I want to forgive you. I will overlook what you did to me. What is that person doing? He is doing what's called in Hebrew, Ma'avi which in English means, he is overlooking, he is forgiving a person that the trespass that this person did to him. Therefore the rule is, that if your name is brought up for prosecution, before they even begin, what happens is the court opens your file and if they see that you did acts, where you forgave somebody, then immediately they take the prosecution itself the case, and they throw it right out of court, exactly, measure for measure, look how powerful that idea is, but what did I say? I said that the greatest way of course to avoid judgment, right, is to avoid the whole concept of prosecution, to stop the certain, but how do we stop the certain? This is the question, I will tell you. Imagine, this is a courtroom, right? And on in here, you're sitting, your soul is sitting. And in front of you, there's this awesome angel. Who is this angel? The Sutton, that, uh, that angel that, of course, is a prosecuting attorney. He is sitting there and he's prosecuting you, right? What is the Sutton doing? Well, he's doing exactly what he's doing. He's prosecuting you, correct? But wait a minute. What is the nature of every prosecution? I will tell you. Do you remember? It's Lush and horror, It's slander. <clears throat> do you remember what the definition of slander was? The definition that, of slander is, any communication that will harm another person. That is the definition of slander. But isn't that exactly what this Satan is trying to do? Isn't that that he's trying to harm this person except it is permitted for him to speak slander because that's his job. But that's really what he's doing. therefore coming here this unbelievable secret that is revealed to us first of all it comes from the Zoya and the Chofetz Chaim says it dozens of times all over his writings and so on this is also brought down by many many great men of Israel the Dubna Magid, Rabchaim Vatal and so on Uh, they say an incredible secret what that just like measure for measure can what can stop the judicial process I had previously mentioned. It can also initiate the judicial process. Measure for measure. What does that mean? It means the following. Imagine you walk over to a person and you start speaking or slander. What are you really doing? You are condemning that person. Therefore measure for measure because you condemn another person, another Jew, therefore the Satan has the right to condemn you once that's right for every prohibition of slander he can condemn you or prosecute you once because every condemnation is really a prosecution uh, in his terms this is what we see this incredible secret in other words slander or has the unbelievable power to make available all your sins to the heavenly district attorney that's right to the angel called a prosecuting attorney that's what it does It exposes everything to him. It makes available to the prosecuting attorney himself. This is the secret of Russian horror. Imagine, you get on the telephone because you have an hour's break, right? You get on the telephone, you call up your friend, and in that conversation of an hour, you have spoken 500 prohibitions of slander. That means that you have been condemned. You have been prosecuted by this angel 500 times. Could you imagine what that is? Be prosecuted 500 times? Imagine a guy walks over and he picks up the phone and he calls the police and he says to them, you know, I just committed a crime. Why don't you come and get me? What would you think about this person? Well, you'd say he's crazy. But do you know that's exactly what you do when you speak lush and horror slander? It's like walking over to the door or the house of the Sutton. that angel who's the prosecuting attorney, you press his doorbell and he opens up the door and he answers you and he says yes. And you say to him, well you know I got an hour's lunch break, why not go to court? He's only too happy to oblige, except you're the defendant. This is exactly what happens. Now you may say to me, wait a minute, this is incredible. You mean to tell me if I speak Lush and Hara, if I speak slander, then I will be punished and I will be condemned and I will of course say yes. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is now, who is judged? That's right. I will tell you, three people are judged. The one who speaks Lashon Hara is judged. Why? Measure for measure. Because this person speaks Lashon Hara or slander, so the court turns to the Satan, this angel, and says, Hey, come on over. Come on over and prosecute, because you're the prosecuting attorney. Come on over and prosecute or condemn, because this person condemns, you condemn too. Who else is judged? I will tell you, the one who listens to Lashanara, that person is also judged. Why? Because the court says to the Sutton, the prosecuting attorney, Hey come on over, we want you to prosecute, he listens, we want to listen to what you have to say about him. Therefore he is also judged. And you know who is also judged besides these two? Yes, the subject of the conversation, he is also judged. But you're going to say why? Why should he be judged? You'll say, hey, it's bad enough that what? That they talk lost and horror about me or slander. I gotta get schlepped to the court also? And the answer is yes. Why? Because of another concept. That concept is called, ayn horror, evil eye. That's what it's called. What does that mean? What exactly is the concept of an evil eye? It is a misunderstood concept. I will tell you what it means. It means as follows. Because of the lofty nature of the neshama, of the soul of a Jew, if you look at another Jew and you question that person's position, why does that person have this thing? Automatically, because of your power, the court, the heavenly tribunal listens and they say, wait a minute, let's check it out. Let's begin a judicial inquiry or investigation. Does he deserve to have what he has? That's what an eye in horror does. That's what an evil eye does. It initiates a judicial inquiry about that person. Now, I want to tell you something. Do you know that most of the things that a person has, the Jewish people have, is because God loves the Jewish people. He gives it to them anyway, even though they don't deserve it. Therefore, the last thing you want is a judicial inquiry or investigation that they will check out, they will scrutinize to see, do you deserve to have what you have? And of course you don't want that. That's the concept of an eye in horror. When a person gives another person an eye in when one Jew gives another Jew an eye in automatically he initiates a judicial inquiry and that's very bad for the Jew that he's doing it to. In fact the Talmud says, what thing is successful if you want to begin a new venture or whatever, don't tell people because other people can give you an eye in and as a result of that it will be taken away from you. That's what the Talmud says. What do we see from this? An incredible concept. It is a result of the iron horror that people give, and a result of the fact that a person who speaks or listens Lashon Hara, that they're all judged. Could you imagine that 90% of the Jewish people are judged every day? Why? Because either you've spoken slander, you've listened to slander, or you are the recipient, you are the subject of somebody else's conversation. They're talking about you. Do you imagine what 90% of the Jewish people that they are judged every day? That is absolutely incredible. I want to tell you something. It is not the sins of the Jews that destroy the Jews. It is the Lashon horror or the slander uh, because it reveals everything to the heavenly district attorney uh, of what a person did. That's what destroys the Jews and not only that Do you remember I said that Lashon har destroys Maslow or good fortune? Yes, it does. Do you know why? I will tell you. Because, think about it. The Jewish people do a tremendous amount of mitzvahs, of commandments. Tremendous amount. Tremendous amount of acts of mercy and kindness. <coughs> why is it <coughs> that we, on a personal level, don't have mazal good fortune as a result of this? Whether it be in terms of <coughs> marriages or parnasa livelihood, or as a result of any other thing having children or good fortune in general. You know why? <coughs> because people speak so much lashanara, and they're always being judged. And they're found guilty and therefore they're always being punished. Therefore, since they are in court 90% of the time, as a result of that, their muzzle is defunct, which means that their muzzle can never come to fruition. Because they are always being judged because of the lush and horror that they spoke. <clears throat> Do you realize that 90% of the reason why you are in court is because of your fault. Your lush and horror is what put you in court. What happens if a Jew does not speak Hara, then not speaking Hara which is called guarding your tongue, or in Hebrew it's called Shmir Salashon? <coughs> that 's an umbrella policy. What does that mean? That means it guards you every which way, therefore, if you don 't speak Russian horror or slander, then the, the Sutton, the prosecuting attorney, the Sutton himself, cannot speak against you you don 't speak. he cannot speak if you don 't listen to Russian then the Sutton, the same idea happens because you don 't listen so the court says to the Sutton, which the prosecuting attorney, we do not want to listen to what you have to say because he doesn 't listen. We will not listen to what you have to say measure for measure. <clears throat> and if you don't listen to Lashon then even if you are the subject of somebody else's conversation, that's right. Uh, and a certain wants to prosecute you, they can't, he can't do it. Why? Because since you don't listen, so the court says to him, the heavenly court, we will not listen to what you have to say, even if the reason why you want to prosecute is because of an evil eye and eye and The greatest way to protect yourself against an eye is not through a red ribbon, it is through Shmir Salashim. That's right. It is not speaking slander or Russian horror, that is the greatest way. Uh, We see therefore the incredible ideas as a result. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not telling you to sin but not speak slander to protect yourself, of course not. But listen, we all sin. So therefore we have an incredible way not to be harmed or damaged. Why don't we use it? In fact, I will tell you four magic words. Four words that if you think about, They will help you stop to speak or listen to Lush and Horror. Yes. What are the four magic words? Is it worth it? That's all. Is it worth it? Is it worth to speak slander, Lush and Horror, if you know that you're going to be prosecuted by the Sultan? Is it worth it? Of course it's not worth it. If you know that you're going to be in the defense seat. It is clearly not worth it. That's all you have to ask yourself. Is it worth it to speak? Is it worth it to listen? Of course not. Therefore, if you write it down on your telephone, spread the word, tell your family, is it worth it? Explain to them. You will automatically have a very good slogan in order to stop speaking and listening to Lush and Hara. This is what we see. Now, you may say, wait a minute, you mean to tell me if I don't speak and Hara, uh, then when I, ha- I will hardly ever be judged. And the truth is not really. Let me explain. If a person does a sin, there's only two ways to deal with that sin. You either repent, which means to do tshuva, to repent, or if you don't repent, then the only other way to remove that sin is what? Is by suffering. Yisurin. It's called suffering. That's right. And that suffering serves as an expiation for that sin. Now, For all those sins that you did not repent, which means, which means that it has to have suffering. What does that mean? That means that there has to be a judicial inquiry. There has to be a judgment. And also a judgment means there has to be a prosecution in order to determine the amount of suffering that you have for the sins that you did not repent. So you're going to say to me, what about all those sins that I did not repent, I have to have suffering, there's a, there's a judgment, and anyway there's a prosecution even if I don't speak Lush and Hara. So then, what's the difference if I speak slander or not, uh, since in any case I have to be judged to determine how much suffering I receive? That is a very good question, but I will tell you the answer, and it's a remarkable answer. Every single Jew must make a decision. He can go one of two ways. If he speaks horror, then automatically the heavenly tribunal is convened and the prosecuting attorney, the satan, begins and it's automatic. There's no way to stop it. The only way to get out of that judicial system is if you have merits of mercy and kindness, that's the only way. But if you do not have merits, then it's too bad. And I want to tell you something. God will not intervene in that court to save you because he created that court and the prosecuting attorney, the sultan, to uphold justice. He will not intervene if that's the reason if you are into that court. He will not intervene at all. However, what happens if a person does not speak slander? Uh, Then he's not judged in that court. He's not even prosecuted by the sultan. But wait a minute. Then who determines the suffering? And i will answer you it is god himself yes it is between you and god what's the difference because god is ovinu Malkenu. he is our father and he is our king that's the difference what does all this mean i will tell you <clears throat> all of a sudden a person doesn't speak lush and or slander so it's between him and god <clears throat> and god says to him listen you just did a sin come on repent And God says, I will do nothing to you for a year, even though you have no merits. You have no acts of kindness and mercy. You have no acts of kindness and mercy. God says, I will do nothing for absolutely one year's time. Uh, Because in God's courtroom, of course he can do this. Because he doesn't have to defend his actions in front of a courtroom. Uh, This is what he does. A year passes and you still don't repent. And during that year, God sent you to all types of lectures. that deal with the sin that you did, right? All of a sudden, a year goes by and God says, listen, you sinned and I've given you a year's time as a result of this, you didn't do repentance, I have to begin the process of expiation. What does it mean? That means God says, I have to give a wake-up call. I have to begin the process of expiation or suffering but even then god says i will not do it i will not give it to you all at one time <clears throat> what god says is the following is that i will spread the suffering over many years many years and as a result of that it's much easier to bear this is what happens whereas in that courtroom have you been there because of the lashon you spoke of course they would give you everything immediately but in god's courtroom he waits a year and not only does he wait a year but even when he decides to do it he spreads it over many years and he doesn't do it to your physical body he does it to your possessions instead look at the incredible difference but imagine if we didn't speak what a different life we would have that every time God judged us it would be only between him and us and not to the court what a difference in the quality of our life that's exactly what is critical to understand Once we understand this, what do we see? We can now answer all the questions that I have asked previously. Now, why does God say that if you do not speak Lashon Hara slander, I will minimize or reduce your problems? What God says is the following. That if you don't speak Lashon Hara or slander, it's between you and I. And if it is between you and I, then fine. I will reduce your problems. I will remove them even if you don't have any acts of mercy and kindness. Whereas, had you been in that other court because you spoke slander, what could they do for you? If you have no acts of mercy and kindness, of course, they would immediately judge you and they would punish you. That's what God says, if you don't speak Lush and Hara, then I will reduce and minimize or remove your problems and tragedies, even though you don't have any acts of kindness and mercy. <clears throat> Why is Lush and Hara or slander the greatest of all sins? And the answer is, or one of the possible answers is, that it's not the worst of all sins. What does that mean? Of course other sins like desecrating the Sabbath is worse than speaking slander. But let me ask you something, which is worse? Imagine, is it worse to do a crime? Or is it worse to call the police and tell them that you did a crime? Because that would not only tell them, that would not only alert them that a crime was done, but they would know who did it. That's the difference. If you do a sin like desecration of the Sabbath, what does that mean? That means you've done desecration of Sabbath, but what happens? The Satan doesn't know about it. Because you have not spoken slander. But what happens if you speak Lashon Hara? So not only is that a sin, but besides that, you have also made him aware that you have, of of all the other sins that you've done, and as a result of that, everything is exposed. That is why Lashon Hara is the worst of all sins in its consequences even though the other sins are the worst in terms of its severity Ahov or king ahab why is it that even though his generation worshipped idols they never lost a battle and what's the answer to that because since they never spoke and horror the sultan didn't know exactly the prosecuting attorney didn't know they were worshiping idols Therefore they were never judged and therefore they never lost a battle. But wait a minute. God knew what they were doing But remember what I said that God does not intervene in the judicial process And therefore he's not going to tell the Sutton or the court exactly what the Jews are doing Therefore they were never judged and as a result of that they, they won battle after battle no matter, even though they worshipped idols. But in the time of King, of, of, uh, King Saul, by Dover HaMelech, even though they, of course, did not worship idols, and even though there was an unbelievable amount of terror that they knew in those days, when they went to battle, they lost because the generation of Saul, King Saul, spoke and horror, and therefore they lost battle after battle. Rabbeinu, he says of course I know that the Jews worship idols in Egypt, but why would they be in such a terrible exile? Because if they don't speak Lashen then there's no judgment. But when he saw that the Jews do what? That the Jews speak Lashen Hara? Because this Jew was about to inform on him of what he did, then he understood they speak Lashen Hara. Therefore, Ochei Noida dove, Dova, surely the matter is known, surely the matter that they worship idols is known to the heavenly district attorney, to the Satan himself. Therefore, the exile of Egypt is such a terrible exile. This is what we see. Imagine the consequences of speaking Russian horror, and imagine the consequences of guarding your speech and not speaking Russian horror. Now, I want to tell you something. This really is the first dimension of the concept of speaking slander. But in truth, there is a much greater dimension that answers the question Why the temple was destroyed, why we are in exile, and why all the problems of the Jews fundamentally come because of the slander of the Jews. And not only that, this concept, the answer to these questions is the basis of all Jewish history as you will see. And because we don't know about this idea, the sultan dances on our heads exactly. Therefore it is critical that you must know this information. And not only that, but this information will tell you how you can stop the terrible rise of anti-semitism and the bloodshed that is happening in Israel. This will actually tell you what you can do to actually stop it. What is that information? God creates the universe. How does he do it? What he does is that he sends forth a flow of holiness. It's called a Shefa in Hebrew. It's called a tremendous uh, divine energy or a divine force, this is what he sends forth, every single thing that exists must be connected to God and must receive this incredible divine force, this divine holiness, in fact everybody connected to a cable to God, it's an invisible cable. And through that cable flows this divine holiness or this divine force. If somebody were to walk over to this cable and cut it, you would instantly cease to exist. Why? Because you must receive this force in order to exist. And in order to maintain your existence, this is what must happen. Everything is connected. Now, in the beginning, Odom Horishin, the first man, Adam, <clears throat> he was commanded not to eat from the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. That's right. That was his command. <clears throat> and as a result of this, had he done this, then who knows what the world would have been. However... Instead of not eating from the tree, he ate from the tree. Why? Because of the snake or the Nachash. The snake was the mouthpiece of the satan and the satan was trying to tempt him, of course, to do that sin. This is what Adam Horishan did. So therefore, what Adam did is he bought into, he gave credibility to the satan himself. He gave credibility or he believed that which the satan was saying. Therefore, as a result of that, God comes over to Oddamarishan. He comes over to the first man and he says, You know, until now, your job was to ignore the advice of the sultan. That's right. You have to ignore what he says. But now, since you believed him and you gave him credibility, it is no longer the job just to ignore his advice. You must destroy the sultan. You must destroy the prosecuting attorney. You must destroy evil itself. You must annihilate it, obliterate it. But the question is, wait a minute, how? How can Odom destroy the Satan? In fact, now you could take Odom Rishon and you can replace Odom Rishon with the Jewish people. The Jewish people have the same concept of the task of Odom. They must destroy the Satan himself, the heavenly prosecuting attorney. But how? How can we destroy or annihilate the heavenly prosecuting attorney itself? How do we do that? And the answer is as follows. What God does, he cuts his cable. Before the Sutton is about to die, because even the Sutton has to be connected to God. So before he's about to expire, he takes his cable and he connects it to the cable of Odom, of man himself. And therefore, it comes down like a Y. It comes down from heaven and it splits. One side goes into Odom orishan, and the other side goes into the Sutton. Replace Odom orishan with the Jewish people. That means that every Jew is really connected to the Sutton. Now, there's only enough energy or divine force that comes down that enables only one side to survive, not two, which automatically means that the relationship between the Jew and the Satan is one of survival or combat. That's right. This relationship is called an inverse relationship. It's called a seesaw relationship. That means if one side has the flow of holiness, then the other side begins to wither and die if the other side have it, has it, then that's exactly what happened to the other side itself. What does that mean? The relationship between the Jew and the Sutton is called an inverse relationship. It is called a seesaw relationship. That's what it is. Now, the question is this. Who determines which way it flows? That's the question. The answer is the Jew, not the Sutton, not the prosecuting attorney. It is the Jew, if the Jew does mitzvahs, commandments, then what happens as a result of that is that he brings down the divine energy, the divine force itself, and all of a sudden, he becomes spiritual. He wants to observe the Torah. He wants to learn the Torah. He's interested in doing commandments, exactly. And he's not interested in materialism. These things don't concern him anymore. What happens to the sudden when the Jew does the mitzvahs? Of course, all the force is going to the Jew, the sudden begins to grow weak. What happens if all the Jews do all the mitzvahs? What happens as a result of that to the satan? Then the satan dies, exactly. And that is the way it is possible for the Jewish people to destroy the Sutton. But wait a minute, what happens if the Jew sins? Then what happens is the flow of holiness begins to go to the Sutton, to that side. And as a result of that, the Jew grows weak. What does that mean? That means he becomes more material, more physical. He's not interested in spirituality. He is interested in what? In money, in power. He becomes greedy. And also he begins to see different things of a tragic nature beginning to happen to him. What happens to the Satan? The Satan grows might, in power, tremendous in strength as a result. In fact, the Satan is the only angel that can grow with the sins of the Jews or he diminishes with the mitzvahs or the commandments of the Jewish people. No other angel has that power except the satan. All other angels are rooted in the way they were when they were created. Only the satan can grow or diminish as a result of the sins of the Jews. Therefore we see that the one who determines the direction of the flow is the Jewish people themselves. Now, what does this all this mean? Do we see this in the Torah? The truth is, we do. Because in the Torah it says that when Rivka was having Yaakov and Esav, there was a tremendous amount of turmoil. Then she went, of course, one, she went over to the prophet, and he said to her four predictions, and one of them, the last one, was ulo oim milo Motz means that one will, one nation will always be greater than the other nation. What does that mean? That means when one nation is high, the other nation is low and vice versa. They will never be equal. Rashi says this on that actual verse in actually in Parsons told in the section told us in Brachios or Genesis that means that the relationship that Asaph has with Jacob is what? Is that it's an inverse relationship. When Jacob is high, Asaph is low. When Jacob is low, Asaph is Hi, uh, why, does, why do the Jewish people, because they come from Jacob, Yaakov, why do they have the inverse relationship with Esau? Because the angel of Esau is the Satan as we see from the Torah because that's the angel that Jacob fought when he fought with the angel. And therefore, since we know that we have that relationship with the Satan, an inverse relationship, a seesaw relationship, then that is the exact relationship we also have with Esau himself. Now, What happens if a Jew sins? Can the Sultan now go over and take his energy, his divine holiness, because the Jew sinned? And the answer is not at all. He can't do that. What does he have to do? He first has to get this Jew prosecuted in court. If the Jew is prosecuted and he's found guilty, then the Sultan has the permission not only to punish him, but also to take his incredible divine energy, his divine holiness or force but do you remember what i said that even if a jew sins does that mean that the 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 jew himself is punished no he's got to be what he's got to be judged but you remember that 90 percent of the way that a jew is judged is how is because of lush and horror that's the way the satan has access to this person's sins therefore the satan in order to take his divine energy has to do two things he's got to get the jew to sin and he's got to get him to speak lush and horror Slander! And then he can walk over to the Jew and take that energy and survive. This is what he has to do. Therefore we begin to understand that the survival and the existence of the Sutton, the heavenly district attorney, is dependent on not only the sin of the Jew, but also the lush and horror, the slander of the Jew himself. This is what we see. The question is, okay, so the Sutton grows in might and power. But what happens? why is it such a terrible thing if the heavenly prosecuting attorney the d.a the the himself if he grows a mite i will tell you and this is critical information for you to know what happens as a result we know that the base of was destroyed 2500 years ago when the base of was destroyed 2500 years ago the temple is destroyed the building is destroyed but we also know that we lost the Divine Presence. The question is, when we lost the Divine Presence, where does it go? Where does God go when He left the temple as a result of the destruction? The answer to that is that, did God go home? Of course not. Where God went is the following. And this concept is called, the concept called, Shekhin Galusa, which means that the Divine Presence is in exile. What does this mean? It means that the Satan walks over, He walks over to God, to the Divine Presence Itself. And he says to the Divine Presence, to God, he says, listen, they don't want you, I want you. And what does that mean? It means they've sinned, and therefore, they're not interested in the presence of God being amongst them. Therefore, I want you. Which means that I want to take from the nourishment, and the Hebrew word for that is unique. I want to be unique, I want to nourish from the Divine Presence Itself. God says, yes, you can take me. What does that mean? Not that God, of course, is forced, but what God does is he allows the Satan to nourish off the divine presence itself. Because the Jews have rejected God, and therefore they have lost the divine presence, and therefore the Satan is now able to, by justice itself, to take the divine presence. But what does the Satan do with the presence of God? What does he want from it? And the answer is a very important concept. This is what he wants. The Sutton takes an understanding of the nature of God, which is what the Jews had when they had the divine presence in their midst in the temple. They had a tremendous understanding of who God was, especially through prophecy, but they lost it. So what the Satan wants, what the prosecuting attorney wants in heaven, is he wants to take this understanding of the nature of God, he wants to distort it, and he wants to give it to the nations of the world. That's what he wants to do. In other words, he wants to distort the Torah truths. And he wants to give it to the nations of the world. Why? So that they, the nations of the world, by their sheer numbers will influence the Jew to abandon Judaism and to go ahead and to go through with the religion of the nations of the world. And as a result of that, they of course will sin and the Satan of course will be able to derive more energy. This is what the Satan ultimately wants. As a result of this, this is what he does. Now, let's take a look in history. Can we identify this in history? And the answer is yes. Uh, As I had said, 2,500 years ago, the first temple was destroyed. This we know. But you know that within that same time, approximately within a 100-year time period that this happened, that the major religions and ideologies of the East and the West were founded. Let's take a look. Western civilization is based on... Roman civilization. Roman civilization is based on Greek civilizations. When did the Greeks really live? When did Pythagoras and Socrates and Aristotle, the founders of Greek science and philosophy, when did they live? They lived approximately within a 100 year period of the time that we lost our temple. This is the concept of the Torah truths, the Torah itself that is distorted and given over to the nations of the world as major religions. So therefore, the, the, the world itself, by sheer number, can try to influence due to abandon their religion, energizing the Satan even further. But this is not only what happened. 2,000 years ago, the second temple was destroyed. And we know that the reason why it was destroyed, as the Talmud says, is because of the sin of speaking slander. Therefore, we know the formula. The temple is destroyed, God leaves, which means that the Satan now comes over to God and requires that type of energy and he gets it because of justice. As a result of this, what will emerge? Well, we know. Another religion, another distortion of the Torah truths, this is what happens. Is this true? And the answer is yes. What religion emerged right around the time of the destruction of the second temple? (coughs) The answer is Christianity. What does this mean? Did you ever wonder why? Why is it that Christianity looks the way it does? In fact, without the Torah, there's no such thing as Christianity. This is what they say. They say that, we say that we are basis Israel, the house of Israel, the Jewish people. What they say is that they are basis Israel, that they are the house of Israel. It's a distortion actually of what the Torah says. We say that we have the Torah. They say that they have the Torah the New Testament. We say that we have the Mashiach. They believe that they have the Mashiach. What we see is that Christianity is really a mirror image of Judaism. But why? Why does it look the way it does? Because that's the concept that the Satan himself is able to take from the Divine Presence, and as a result of that distort the Torah itself, give it to the world in the form of ideologies and religions, so that they themselves should as a result, should distort or try to remove the Jew from his religion. This is the concept, what What has been the result of Christian domination for the last 2,000 years, I will tell you. Because what the satan has done, what the heavenly prosecuting attorney has done, is that he has taken the Christian people, whoever wants to do evil, within the Christian people, and he has given them the success, persecute the jews and that's exactly what they've done he has allowed the people in that religion who want to do evil to the jewish people he has given them success and as a result of that they have become the agents of persecuting the jews think of it persecutions exiles not only that expulsions holocaust all these ideas the concept of crusades, all of this, inquisitions, has happened as a result of the lust and horror of the Jews, the slander, that has given such awesome power to the heavenly district attorney himself in order to distort the terror, give it to the world, and to try to drag more Jews into sinning so he can have more and more energy, besides his initial task of judging and prosecuting the Jews and giving them punishment. This is what's been happening for the last thousands of years. However, what has been happening for the le- actually in the last thousand years itself, I will tell you. <coughs> uh, it says in the Zoya <coughs> the following. It says in the Torah, In its time I will hasten it. And the Zoya says, the, the book the Zoya says, that the word Beito Achishon, in its time I will hasten it, which means that God will hasten the coming of the Mashiach, that the, the Zohar says that the word Beito is really two words, be ace, hey, in the time of five. So what the Zoya says is as follows, that in the time of five, which means in the time of the end of the 5,000th year, which is the beginning of the 6th millennium, which is equivalent to the English year 1240, the Zoya says that the Messianic light begins to descend. This is what the Zoya says. (coughs) What does this mean? First of all, what is the Messianic light? What the messianic light really is, it is a revelation of total reality, that's right. What the Mashiach does is he reveals in a way which is incomprehensible. The fact that all the physical universe really emanates from the spiritual universe. And the entire spiritual universe emanates from God himself. That's right, he reveals the internal structure of the entire creation itself. Why does this light or this understanding begin to come down in the time of what? 5,000, which is the English year 1240, because of the following reason. The Talmud says that this world will last for 6,000 years. This is what it says. And at the end of 6,000 years begins the process of the future world. And of course the year 6,000 of course is the English year 2240. That means this world only has another 238 years left. This is what the Talmud says. As a result of this, we can now see something fascinating. If the world is 6,000 years, then as a result of that, we know, because it says in Psalms, in Tehillim, uh, we know it says that... Dover HaMelech says that 1,000 years in our eyes is like one day in yours, therefore 6,000 years, 6 days. Since the world was created in 6 days, it will last 6,000 years. The seventh day is Shabbos, therefore the world will last in Shabbos itself, it will begin the, the, uh, the entrance of the future world itself. <clears throat> this is called the creation calendar. Now, if we think about it, the year 1240, which is the end of the 5000th year, which is the beginning of the 6th millennium, that really corresponds to Thursday night. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is five days, and as a result of that, Friday begins right after the 5th day, and of course the beginning of Friday is the English year 1240, or Thursday evening at 6pm. What is Friday? Friday itself is Erev Shabbos. It's the beginning of the Sabbath. It's when a Jew really begins to prepare for the Shabbos. Therefore, since in the sixth day, the Jew begins to prepare for Shabbos, and the sixth day begins at 6 p.m. Thursday night, which is the equivalent of the 5,000th year, or the beginning of the sixth millennium, of course. (coughs) <coughs> now, cal- calendar, and this is the English year 1240. Therefore, the messianic light descends as an unbelievable preparation for the coming of the Mashiach himself. This is what it says. But wait a minute, is this true? Did the messianic light really begin to come down? And the answer is yes. Where do we see this? Because at that time, in the English year 1240, which is the year 5000, uh, th- around then, the Zuya, the fundamental text. Of the secret doctrines of Judaism, the Kabbalah itself, the mystical ideas of Judaism, the secrets of Torah itself, that began to become revealed right around at that time and it began to expand. Into who? Into the famous sages, the Ramban, and the Ari, and so on, it began to grow by leaps and bounds. This is exactly what happened, and the concept of these ideas, the secrets of the Torah, the Kabbalah, this is the beginning of the understanding of the internal structure of creation. That's right, this is the beginning of the understanding of the messianic light. So we see that it actually happened around that time. But wait a minute. Do you remember what I said? That if the Jews sin and they speak Lashon Hara, they are judged and punished. But more than that, that the Satan, the heavenly district attorney, is able to take this energy and is able to take it for himself. Do you remember I said that? Yes. Therefore, if we are getting the messianic light, it means that if we sin and speak Lashon Hara, it means that the Satan is able to take the messianic light itself for himself. But what does that mean? What does it mean? What does the messianic light look in the hands of the Sutton? And I will tell you. And the truth is that all of you really know, but you're not used to hearing it this way. The messianic light in the hands of the Sutton, because of the sins and the lashon and the slander of the Jews, is really science. That's right. What is science? Science is nothing more than the ability to understand the internal structure of the physical universe. If you are a biologist, then you are studying DNA. You are studying pathogens, bacteria, viruses, and so on. If you are a physicist, then you are studying subatomic particles. You are into the internal structure of matter. Whatever it is, science is nothing more than the ability to perceive the internal structure of the physical world. What enables science to do that is fundamentally the messianic light. But what happens? Science is like a knife. In the hands of a surgeon, it cures. In the hands of a killer, it kills. What does that mean? What the Sutton does is he takes this incredible ability to perceive the internal structure of the physical universe and gives it to the nations of the world. Why? Because he wants them to use it to drag the Jews away from religion. How? Do you know that the world was never atheistic until the advent of science? The world always believed in a supreme being. Whether it be one being or many beings, they always believed in the belief of a God. However, with the advent of science, people became became atheists because they replaced religion with God. They replaced it with science. Therefore, what the sultan ultimately wants to do is to allow the, the... Jewish people to become so enamored of the beauty of science is that they will be dragged away from Judaism itself. This is the Satan's ultimate objective. Do you know how many incredible amount of Jewish minds we have lost? Because they've left the yeshiva or they have left Judaism to go into the world of science, to go into the world of universities. An incredible amount of talent we have lost. And that's exactly what the plan of the Sutton is. 1990, what is 1990? 1990 is 5,7750. What is that equivalent to on the creation calendar? That is what? That is 12 o'clock noon, Friday, of the creation calendar. What happens Friday at 12 o'clock noon? Well, the sun begins to set, never to rise. And what, what does that mean? That means a Jew begins to prepare for the Shabbos in, with tremendous intensity. That's right. Uh, as a result of this, Friday at 12 o'clock noon, the messianic light begins to descend with tremendous amount of force. Exactly. Do you have any idea what's been happening since 1990, which is 5,750, and which of course is 12 o'clock noon Friday? I will tell you. Science has been growing by leaps and bounds. Incredible. Do you know that there are 7,500 journal articles that are published daily? That's right. you have any idea what that means? That means that science, that the sum total of human knowledge doubles every five and a half years. Nine nine out of every ten scientists that ever lived, he lives today. In fact, scientists themselves cannot believe the incredible growth in science that is happening today. There wasn't much difference between a man who lived in 1840 and somebody who lived in 1840 BCE. There wasn't much of a difference. But between 1840 and 2002, the difference is so vast that we cannot even begin to comprehend the advancement of civilization. How do we understand this? Because the amount of messianic light that is coming down after 5750, which is 12 o'clock noon on Friday, is absolutely enormous. Enormous intensity, but where's it going? It's going to the nations of the world to try to get the Jewish people to leave their Torah and on the contrary, to abandon it and go into the world of science and to go into all the other secular areas, secular knowledge itself. What's happening to the Jewish people? Let's take a look. Wherever we are, we see that the Jewish people, in many ways, have abandoned Judaism. How many really, how many Jews are left that are Torah observant itself? We have been all over the world, there's a tremendous rise of anti-Semitism. Not only that, there's a tremendous rise of bloodshed in Israel, in Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel, and so on. What does all this mean? This fundamentally is because the Sultan takes an enormous amount of energy that we ourselves should be getting. <coughs> Imagine, if you do not speak Russian horror, then you are hardly ever judged. If you are hardly ever judged, then you will hardly ever be, of course you will not be found guilty, you will not be punished you will certainly not be prosecuted, and not only that, you will retain all the mazal, all the good fortune that you deserve. This is what will happen. However, and not only that, the Satan will not be able to take any of you from your divine flow, he will not be able to destroy the Jewish people because of the strength that he derives, and not only that, but he will not be able to take of the messianic light. If you do speak Lashon Hara, what happens? Then you are judged, you are prosecuted, you are found guilty, you are punished. Your muzzle on a personal level is what? Is tremendously destroyed because you're always being punished for the Lashon Hara, the slander that you speak. <clears throat> Not only that, but the Satan is able to take from your energy. And he is able to do what? Give the energy to the nations of the world in distortions of terror. And as a result of that, he is able to give success to those people among the nations that want to destroy the Jews, he gives them the, gives them the success, and how many Jews suffer as a result. And besides that, he's able to take this messianic light and give it to the nations of the world. Can you imagine the results of speaking Lashon Hara? Let me tell you something, that Lashon Hara or slander is the greatest devastating force known to the Jews, bar none. This is what we see. <clears throat> I want to tell you something. What got the Jews out of Egypt? Do you know that it says in the Midrash It says three times that the reason why the Jews got out of Egypt is because they did not speak slander or lush and horror That's what it says How do we understand this? As follows Because God wanted to take them out after 210 years because they had descended to the 49th level of defilement Which it says in the Midrash Therefore He wanted to take them out after 210 years Really they were supposed to be there 400 years but he wanted to accelerate the process, but there was a problem. What was the problem? Is that the certain stands in front of him and says, No, you can't take them out, or call to justice, because they sin and they worship idols. So there was a tremendous problem. So what God did is he looked down to the Jewish people and he said to the Jewish people, He said, My children, you must help me. You must stop by yourselves, the heavenly prosecuting attorney. And all of a sudden, for some reason, the Jews realized that and they stopped speaking on Hashanah, therefore there was no Kitrug, there was no prosecution, therefore God was able to take the Jews out of Egypt itself, that is absolutely incredible. We know that it says, again, another post or verse, it says hey, go alti that the second redemption, which means that which comes now, is going to be exactly like the first. Just like was the first, the Jews got out of Egypt because they did not speak Lashon Hara, that's exactly what's going to happen in the second redemption, is that the Jews are going to get out because they do not speak and Hara or slander. Did you ever wonder why there's a tremendous rise of consciousness among the Jewish people for the last 15 to 17 years? About not speaking lush and horror or not speaking slander? do You think it was an accident? No! Because we are entering the messianic era. This is the beginning. We see it clearly all over. What God needs in order to accelerate the process is the same thing He needed in Egypt. He needs us to stop the prosecution, the heavenly DA. He needs a certain to stop so He can accelerate the process and as a result of that, take the Jews out of the exile. So in effect what God is saying to the Jewish people, he's saying, listen my people, you must help me to accelerate the process. Do not speak slander. You stop the Sutton, the prosecuting attorney, and I can accelerate the process. This is what the Rebunshim is doing. He's begging us to stop speaking Loshan horror. <clears throat> there was a lake, and on that lake there was a king, and on that lake his royal family went boating. And the king is on the other side of the lake. And in that boat was his queen and the prince and princesses and so on. All of a sudden, a wind goes by and overturns the boat and the king sees in front of his eyes that the boat overturns. And in front of his eyes, his own kids, his royal family is dying. And the the king of course, what can he do? All of a sudden he sees an officer at the other end of the lake and he screams out, Save my family! And that officer hears, he jumps in and as a result of that he saves the family. What will that king reward this officer? Do you think he will merely give him some kind of reward because he obeyed the order of the king? Of course not. This person did the greatest thing of all. He saved the family of the king. Imagine. When you don't speak and Hara, it is not only your personal muzzle, your personal fortune that you restore. But you save the family of God. What is God going to give you? I will tell you. The Chovetz Chaim says that the reward of those people who do not speak Lashon Hara or slander is incomprehensible even to those people who are at the top of the future world. This is what he says. Could you imagine what this means? This is therefore what we see. We have the ability to do what? To change what's called Golis to Geula. We can change exile to redemption. The secret is the greatest secret ever known to man, that has been revealed to us by our rabbis. Do not speak lush and Hara or slander, this is the actual secret. But I want to tell you something, you must know the laws of lush and Hara, to know when lush and Hara, when slander is permitted, and when it is forbidden. Without that, you can't possibly really observe this commandment. Therefore it is critical to learn the laws of lush and Hara itself. Therefore think about it, you don't speak the redemption comes. Your personal muzzle, your personal fortune is restored. Do then see why the true power of speech, that speech itself determines life and death and determines so many other things also. Therefore, let us all grab this incredible commandment. Let us bring the Mashiach and we can do it because God is waiting for us not to speak Lashon Hara. And in this year, even on this Tisha let us hope that the Mashiach will come and finally, God will present himself and we will come home to our father in heaven and finally
2: to be with him for all eternity. Thank you. Rab Mendel Kessen Shalito, he is the head of Teferes Ramchal, has created tapes on Shemira Saloshe. He has created a tape which is so powerful that many thousands of people were inspired by it. The tape was given by many Daily Yisrael, and it will be given out free at the end of today's lecture. It would be most important that you pass on this tape to your friends. They should also listen and be mekabel the Hilchas to be to be mechazig themselves odem in fact, Aisha Sitkonya suggested that to the in of Shmiras Aloshin, that we are mekabel on ourselves, should be not just for ourselves. We should be mekabal to learn with somebody else, to learn to perhaps husband and wife, parents and children. That'll be a bigger machayev. We hope, in Yotz in the S'chus of Shmiras Aloshin, Mashiach Zidkene will come bekorif. Amen.